You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Today is about faith. In your book, it says God designed our life purpose and struggles to lead us into relationship with him. This first part is, uh, is easy to skip by quickly, so I'm going to say it again. God designed our life purpose and struggles to lead us into relationship with him. Some people think, and maybe it's me or you, some people think that difficult things in life, the difficult things in my life, are purposeless, number one, possibly, or they're at least uncomfortable, and ultimately then they're unnecessary. But here's the truth we believe. God in his sovereign power, that means God in his complete control and power, is able to take all the difficult things of my life and the good things and channel them all toward his goal for my life, which is very simple. For me to have a healthy relationship with him and to have a healthy relationship with other people. That's all that's going on in life. A part of today is going to sum up the last six weeks. So if you miss them, it's okay. You just get a little version of it all. Uh, you, should, you can still go back and listen to it all. That's all that's going on in life. God is after my heart. And he wants me to have and you to have a healthy relationship with him and a healthy relationship with other people. And for him, that's all that's going on. It's not complicated. So when difficult things happen, I want you to think about yourself today. When difficult things happen, whatever that is, and when God does not quickly rescue you from it, okay? Difficult things are going on, God does not quickly rescue you from it. It's not that he's being mean or not that he's not in control. He's teaching you how to trust him. That's all that's going on. In your notes, we find God in those places, difficult places. We find God in those places through faith. So what is faith? Although sometimes our circumstances can make it easy to feel like God is far away. I don't know if you've had this experience. Although it, it can be easy, it feels like. It can be easy to feel like God is not far, that he's far away. Or it can feel very easy to feel like he's not real. Or like he's irrelevant. By faith, we can see God in every circumstance. There's this thing called faith, and by faith, we're actually able to see God in every circumstance. So what we're going to look at now is what is faith, and in your book, I think there's three definitions of faith. The first is faith is trust. So I want you to think about this. In our society, I think, suspicion might be a greater value than the idea of faith. We don't usually say that, but in our society, suspicion might be more valued in the heart of people than faith. If you're suspicious, and we don't use that word, but generally it means that you're intelligent and that you don't take things at face value. So it's fine. By the way, it's good to critique things. It's how you learn. It's good to reason through things, to compare, to contrast. It's not that being critical, in a sense, is completely bad. But if your life, think about this, if your life is driven or is, is built on a foundation of doubt and suspicion, Maybe you don't think that's you yet, but if your life is driven by doubt and suspicion, then it's going to be very hard, if not impossible, to have a relationship with God or to have a relationship with other people, although we'd like to think we can still. Many of us, many people in society in general, want to have a love relationship, whatever you call that, whether it's with a spouse or, or a, a partner or a family member. If you want to have, you want to have a love relationship, but we're very slow to want to give trust to somebody or to build trust with someone. The reason why then love doesn't often work out for people or why it's very difficult is because love does not work without trust. And love only grows, love's only found built when it's built upon a foundation of trust. Trust is of the utmost importance. And if, we don't, if that's not the main thing in our life, then love, true love, is always going to be very, very difficult to find and we'll feel frustrated. Faith is important. So, in your notes, trust is the foundation of any love relationship, especially with God. In Proverbs chapter 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord. Okay, so faith is trust. Have faith in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's hard to do. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. We heard that during worship. In your notes, faith does not earn God's blessing. This is key. Faith does not earn God's blessing. Faith receives them. Ben, can you, can you come here for a second? You're, you're elected. Okay, so there's this idea that faith does not earn God's blessing. It receives them. Often we think about faith, and we'll, I'll keep going in a minute. We think about faith as in it's, it's something I'm doing to get something. Have faith, and then you will receive, right? It for sure can look like this, but let's look at what faith is. So I'm going to give you a hug, but don't hug me back. Okay. Okay. Did, did Ben deserve my hug? As you know, I mean, maybe he does, right? But did, did he do anything? No. Did he work for it in any way? No. So, let me back this time. So what Ben's doing here is when he hugs me back, okay, let's just say that's faith, okay? When he hugs me back, is he, is he earning my hug now? No. Is he working for it? But he's, he's acting, he's doing something, right? All he's doing is his action is he's receiving it. In order to receive a hug from me, he has to do something. He has to act. But he's not, no one would think he's, you can sit down, that's it actually. Yeah, you can clap for Ben, that was fantastic. So that's simple, but... That's faith. He's not doing anything to earn it. I have something for him, but for him to receive it, he's got to do something. But it has nothing to do with earning. It has nothing to do with work. And this is what faith means in the scriptures. It isn't always an action, which we'll talk about. It's something you do, but it's something you're doing that allows you to receive. Okay? But it has nothing to do with earning. Having a posture toward God, this is faith, having a posture toward God that lets you receive his love is faith. When you're in that place, we'll keep talking about it, of faith, you have a relationship with him. So in your notes, faith trusts God regardless of the outcome. Faith was, I mean, faith, worship, the music was perfect today. It trusts God regardless of the outcome. You can refer to it later, but Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, 17 to 18, we'll talk about that. This is a tough one. All these things, uh, to me, are like... Um, they can be seen as like platitudes, you know? It's just like, it's a good idea. Of course I believe that. It's easy to sing about it if you work yourself up enough. It's really difficult to trust God regardless of the outcome. And I want us to wrestle with that for a few minutes because if we can't move beyond this and beyond what's coming next, that's why this is foundations, it's almost impossible to lead a, what we call a Christian life or a life of following Jesus that will bear any fruit if we don't get past this. It's funny because this, it, I trust God regardless of the outcome, can actually be something that we think about as something that we will be able to do one day. But we're talking about this as a foundation of faith. Faith, following Jesus, doesn't work if you don't walk through this door. So some of you might have prayed at some point. Have you prayed? Just kidding. Some of you might have prayed a prayer at some point and asked for something very specific. If you can think of something right now, that's helpful. But maybe you've prayed for something very specific. Maybe you've prayed for a spouse. Or you've prayed for a job. These are not bad things. Or maybe you've even prayed for something that's really pure, that doesn't even feel like it's about you. You've prayed for a loved one and they're healing, something like that. And it doesn't occur to you why God would not answer that prayer or any of those prayers. Let's say, though, whether it's happened yet, maybe you feel like it's already, it already failed or it just hasn't happened yet. Let's say that it doesn't get answered, at least in the way that you would hope it would. Okay? Either it didn't or it won't. And what we typically do, typically, with prayer like that that doesn't get answered, prayer that was about something good, prayer that, of course, God cares about, prayer that... You know, there must be something wrong if he doesn't answer. We end up saying, see, something like this, most of us. See, God, I trusted you. I prayed. I fasted. I did the stuff. I gave up the thing. I did all the stuff. I did it, and you didn't answer. So that's it. How can I trust God in the future? It's hard to tell somebody that's sure about their experience, how to trust God in the future. 
Because the problem is they never trusted him in the past. That's not trust. Faith is trusting in God regardless of the outcome. This is tough. Otherwise, it's not faith. We're not talking about faith. Otherwise, what we're trusting in is our ability to know what God should do. You think about that. I want you to think about good things. Don't talk about things that, oh, God didn't give me all the money I asked for. I'm talking about things that you think God should do it. Of course he should do it. We often have more trust in what we think is right and what should happen than what God should do, than what God, than, than trust, in, trust in God for himself. I've thought about it. This is what we'll do. I've thought about it, and if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, I'm not going to trust you, or it's going to be super difficult to trust you. When that's our attitude, when it's the posture of our heart, this is a human thing, not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. When we have that, what we want is not trust. I want you to wrestle with that. We don't want trust. We use the word trust. What we want is control. That's what we're after. We want things to be the way we want them. We don't want relationship with God who is sovereign. We just want things to work out the way we want them to. And that's tough because sometimes the things we want to work out are good things. That's not life. Trust says, regardless of what life gives me, this is it. Trust says this, regardless of what life gives me, you are good, God. In my heart, regardless of what happens, you are good. The miracle of that kind of posture, okay, it's a risk to take that step. The miracle that happens when a person has that kind of faith is that as you trust that that's true, that God is good no matter what, as you trust that that's true, you will begin to discover that it actually is true. That's why, that's why trust is hard, because some of it's going to come later. No matter what circumstance you're in, God has the ability to be with you and to be near you, to heal you, even when things aren't going the way that they should. And when you begin to value being close to God over the specific circumstance that you experience, that's where faith is. Okay. Uh, Greg Mitchell, who wrote this material, tells a story about a man who he knew who was in a country uh, uh, that, that persecutes Christians openly. Okay? And, and the guy ha- was open about his faith and got um, arrested and was in prison. And he found prison really difficult. I don't know why. Um, it's a weird story. But he found prison. That's a joke. See, that was the tone of voice. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it now. So he found prison really difficult. But, the, but he, 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 he loved one thing about prison, his favorite thing. Because he was a Christian and most everybody else in the prison was not in there for that, uh, everybody was kind of against him. And so he had the, the lowest job on, uh, on the totem pole. And his, the job that they would give him is there was essentially like a cesspool, like a place where all the crap was. Okay? And he had to clean it. And he loved it. Because nobody wanted to be near this place. Nobody wanted to be near that part of the the prison, especially when he was there cleaning it. So he would be so alone, no one could hear him, and he could worship, sing loud in that area of the prison, and no one knew. And so he loved, prison was difficult, but he loved that moment whenever he had to do it. They thought they were like sticking it to him. He loved going there because he could worship and pray, and he saw it as as an utter gift from God that he'd be able to do that job. Imagine how free you will feel when your faith is no longer tied to a circumstance. Bless you. Imagine how free you would be when you could be like that. When you could see in every circumstance, this is what it means, in every circumstance, he could see the gift of God in it. When someone else would, it would be like another step down to something that was super difficult. You will be free I will be free. When our faith is tied only to this, only to Jesus and his constant presence with us and his love, then you'll be utterly and totally free. If you let your faith be in who he is, and that's it, who he is, your life will change. That's where transformation begins and lives in a place like that. Point two in your notes, faith is a motive. Faith is the reason why we forgive someone. For example, faith is the reason why. It has nothing to do with them. Okay? Let's just say you're totally innocent. Faith is the reason that you forgive them instead of being bitter toward them or withdrawn from them. Remember, we talked about love in a previous week. Angelica talked about love. And we talked about love as a motive. 
It's why we, you would do something instead of something else. Love is the thing that drives you toward an action instead of a different emotion. Faith is the same way. It's because I trust in God and I believe that he's good and he's powerful. Therefore, I will choose to do this thing instead of that thing. In your notes, some people, this is important for some of us, okay? Some people contrast faith with reason. It's probably important for everyone because if you don't struggle with it, everybody around you in our city thinks this. Some people contrast faith with reason or they contrast feelings with action or feelings or actions. Instead, we must let all we think, all we feel, and all we do be an expression of our trust. I think, I feel, and I act in a way that expresses trust toward God. This is the way I express my faith toward God is through what I think, feel, and act. Faith is not, here it is, faith is not at odds with my mind at all. God made my mind. He doesn't want it to be subservient. He doesn't want it to me to forget it. He doesn't want me to act like I don't. He doesn't want me to not grow in my intellect. Nothing like that. Faith is not against reason. It's not against my mind. It's not against your mind. Here's what it is, though. I take my faith, and I begin to let it inform my thinking. That's the catch. (laughs) Instead of segregating faith into one compartment of life, I try to talk about this all the time. This is like a core thing that I find myself talking about. I don't know if you've heard me say it, that Christianity, that that what Jesus, that Christian, that, that everybody's religious, this kind of idea, everyone's religious. There are not five religions in the world. There are as many religions as there are people in the world. Jesus is not an option for religion versus an option for not religion. The first step is to realize that everyone is religious. Everybody's a person of faith. We'll talk about this. Everybody trusts. Everybody follows. Everybody has ultimate meaning for the life. Jesus is better than that, whatever it is. And therefore, just like people don't segregate faith when it's shopping or something like that, which we talked about last week, faith is never segregated. Faith is never put into a box in my, it's actually not even possible, it's not even trust at that point. My faith is not put into a box and I live the rest of my life here, or do my thinking and my feeling over here. And over here, I go back to my faith once in a while. I don't segregate it, I can't compartmentalize it. I let faith, I'm talking for all of us, pervade everything that I think everything that I feel, and everything that I do. And this is not like actually any different than what anyone else does. If my faith is in uh, my job, I'm not going to segregate that. That is going to, whether I like it or not, inform everything else about my life. It's going to inform the way I feel on any given day. It's going to inform the things I think about, and it's going to inform my actions. I don't even have a choice. That trust and faith is powerful. And so if trust and faith is really in Jesus, then it will begin, you must let it begin, it will begin to inform your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. And so the good news is then, we're not controlled by our thoughts, our feelings, or our actions. Feeling is probably the biggest one. Emotions is probably the biggest thing that we can be controlled by. What we're able to do when faith becomes this operating principle in our life, whether you're here yet or not, whether you're there yet or not, when faith takes that place, when you begin to feel something, an emotion, okay, anything, it can be very simple, when you begin to feel something, you're able to stop and say, is this feeling, this is a paradigm shift, ready? Is this feeling that I'm having, this emotion, motivated by faith in Jesus? Or is it not? Is it motivated by something else? And if the feeling I'm having, the emotion I'm having, is not motivated by faith, I don't have to accept it. This is a stretch for some people I know in real life. Is my jealousy I'm feeling motivated by faith in Jesus? Or is it motivated by a broken part of my heart that doesn't trust God at all? Well, when I realize that, what I can say is, you know what? Reality, my reality is faith in Jesus. My reality is that God is good. I don't live in a world of scarcity. I live in a world of plenty. God has my back. He has everything I need, and he has a a good plan for my life. And therefore, the jealousy I feel is a false jealousy, and it's not true, and I don't need to feel it. Many of us, most of us in the room, but 
people that you talk to in the world, myself included, are driven by the things we feel. What we feel is what we feel. It's hard to get out of that, you know? What I, how can it not be true? I feel it. Faith understands that it's not. There's a truth that's deeper and more profound and more true than the things that I feel on any given day. And when I'm able to submit those things to faith, to let faith inform them, my life begins to change. Yeah, I might ask to be delivered from, from uh, jealousy, judgment, but I don't think you will be. I think God's asking you to let your faith inform your jealousy. God didn't put it there. He's not going to take it away, I don't think. If the feeling isn't motivated by faith, I don't have to accept the feeling. Otherwise, what it means is that the things I feel are truth. Imagine what that says. The things I feel are ultimate truth in the universe. I define my reality. I feel this, therefore it must be. And we give ourselves too much credit. So we can say, is it true or is it not? Is it motivated by trusting God or is it not? Faith has the ability to transform what we think, what we feel, and what we do. This is a pitch to tell you that faith is important. That's what this is. I'm just pitching to you why faith in Jesus matters. Faith, in your notes, such trust, such kind of faith, shapes every aspect of our lives, our health, our relationships, our finances, our future. Faith sees life through God's eyes. It sees reality through God's perspective on everything. We begin to see things the way God does. If you look at your notes or look on someone else's, you'll see a picture. You see it? On that page just under 2 Corinthians 5, 7. What do you see? Do you see a young woman or do you see a musician? What do you see? At first, what? A musician? Anybody see the, the, uh, the young woman? Still deciding? Something totally different? <laughs> It's just one of those, okay? It's possible to look at, you probably heard this kind of thing, right? But it's possible to look at the same picture and see two different images. Faith is the ability to see every picture, every situation, every circumstance through God's eyes. It's also possible to not. It's possible to look at a picture and feel like you don't, like you don't see it through God's perspective. You only see it through yours, right? So listen, it's what I'm saying here now as a, it, I mean, maybe you already think this or maybe you think this is what I'm saying now. Faith is not positivism. If you think that faith is just being positive or you practice faith as if it's just being positive, it won't work. I'm not, I'm, we're talking about something real. I'm not talking about just staying positive. I really hate my life and God is good. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about pretending things are great when they're not. Because sometimes trusting God is difficult. It's painful. Faith means accepting reality first. Okay? It's difficult and it's painful. But faith is the ability to see the difficult moment through God's eyes. That will change our life so much. These are all understatements. Imagine if the difficult thing that's coming in your life when it comes, you're able to see it through God's eyes. It's going to change the whole circumstance, the whole way that you experience it. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. This is what it means. We can begin to, to experience circumstances and first say, not controlled by the circumstance, not controlled by my emotions, to stop, to not react, and to say, God, what is this? What is this? I don't know what's happening. It doesn't make sense. It's certainly not what I asked for. Tell me what it is. How should I look at it? How do you see it? Imagine if instead of reacting to circumstances or letting the people around you affect you, here's another thing. What if instead you stopped and asked God how he saw the problem, how he saw the thing, how he saw the circumstance? If God is good and he's in control of all, it's not about the fact that everything will be rosy. It's the fact that God has an intention behind everything. Number three in your notes, faith is trust in action. James 2.9. You believe that there is one God. 
I feel like we could even probably take James a bit further and spout some other theology here. Okay, demons have great theology. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. You hear what he's saying? You believe the right things? Fantastic. The Bible's sarcastic. Faith always looks like action, even if that action is waiting. What's the difference? Is that the demon doesn't follow through. The demon believes the right thing and it changes nothing about their life. Uh, you may remember, it, well, maybe don't, in, in the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel in the New Testament, uh, John tells a story about a day he saw Jesus come upon a man who was blind. Okay? And in this, Jesus is, is often healing people like this. And, and uh, it's, it's almost all of chapter 9 in John. But Jesus comes upon the man and he, in short, heals the man. But this man, he doesn't heal by saying, be healed or, you know just simply touching him, but he picks up mud and puts it on his eyes. You know, this spits in it. It's a very odd miracle. But when you read the story, it seems like the, the conversation around the man is about whose fault it was. How did this guy get to be like this? This guy we know is blind from birth, has tried everything, nothing works. And what does Jesus do? After he puts it on his eyes, he goes through this whole thing, he asks him to wash it off. But Jesus could do it, and this is a circumstance, okay? Jesus could do whatever he wants to. He, 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 he doesn't ever heal anyone else like that. He could just say, be healed. Why would he go to the trouble to do this whole kind of theater and ask the guy to go do this thing, and only then, when he washes it off, can he see? Is that he knows the guy better than we do, and he knows that this guy needs to take an action. He needs to do something. And so he's given him something to do. As the man gets up and washes it off, that is what faith looks like. It's an action. I mean, he had to trust Jesus to follow through on what Jesus said to do. And if that was you, I don't know how many times you've wanted to be healed and not been healed, how many times you've been frustrated, how many people you trusted, how many times you asked God and trusted and nothing happened. You begin to think, maybe I am to blame. Maybe my parents were to blame. We'll talk about blame later. That's perfect. Instead, what Jesus says is, I'm going to do this for you, but I need you to meet me. I need you to accept it. It's like the hug. I need you to hug me back. And the way he's going to do that is he gives him this simple thing. Just go wash it off. And when you do that, that action of faith will unlock what I'm already doing for you. But I need you to receive it somehow. A good question to ask for ourselves in your notes is, does this action, what I'm, so now action in my life, does this action express my faith in God or does it replace my faith in God? Here's an easy one. If I told you today that after this, I got to be done on time, we got to hurry, because I'm going to rob a bank. Uh, I shouldn't, you should not tell people first, by the way, if you're going to do that. But let's just say I'm going to do that. Does my robbing a bank, this is easy, okay? Does me, does me robbing a bank express my trust in God to provide for me? Or does it replace my trust in God? You don't have to answer out loud because it's embarrassing to get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> it replaces my trust. Okay, but every action is like, this is an easy one. Every action is like this. Anything I do in my day, anything you do, is either an expression of trust or it's a replacement of trust in God. Is the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth I hope so. Is the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth and you have a conversation with someone later, is it motivated by trust in God and his goodness? Or is it motivated by mistrust of God? Or like that God's not going to do anything, so I'm going to take things into my own hands. In your notes, everyone has faith. The question is whether the object of our faith is worthy of our trust or not. Jesus is worthy because his, his, he is pure love unequaled authority in infinite truth. That's what we talked about week one. Everyone has faith. Even, I don't, this is, I think this, this examples are kind of passe, but even someone who's committed to the scientific process, okay? Somebody who says, I am not a Christian. I'm a person of reason. I'm not a person of faith, right? I live in a, in a natural world in which I can experience everything that exists through my five senses. That person is full of faith. How? Because they have faith in their ability to reason. 
They have faith in their ability to do research correctly, to interpret the world correctly, that they have a perspective of reality and they're not duped. Or they have faith in other people's ability to do research, other people's intellect, other people's ability to reason and see reality. You might think, of course, but that is faith. That by definition, that is having faith. It's just not in God. A few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between hurt and harm. If you remember, we all experience hurt in life. We actually don't have to experience harm. When we experience what we call harm is when we've let the person who hurt us or the hurt take a place in our life that it never needed to have. That's difficult. But it's good news to think that we don't have to experience that. This is what the Bible refers to when it talks about idols. Okay, An idol, usually something in the Old Testament that's made by a person, made by human hands. But an idol is anything that, is, that, we, that we end up trusting in other than God. There's other ways we can talk about it, but we'll talk about it like that. We'll trust God, we'll trust the idol instead of God. So the idol could be anything, anything in our life. We might trust in other people, we might trust in our own opinions, we might trust in our intellect, our money, our job, the economy, whether it's good or bad. We might trust in our freedom, our ability to do whatever we want. All of that is actually not bad to do. It's not that God's gonna just punish you if you do that. Your life is worth a lot more than following after any of those things. That's actually the Old Testament's understanding of an idol. Is it why is a human being worshiping something that a human made, including the economy? As we learn how to be motivated by faith and do things that express faith, instead of giving, our, giving away our faith and our trust to things that don't deserve it, our lives begin to radically transform. So, gonna hurry up. What then is the opposite of faith? This is worth the whole price you paid today, ready? What, that's a joke too, okay. So, what, <laughs> that's one I shouldn't make maybe. What undermines faith? It's in your notes. Fear. While some fears are healthy, anxiety is a kind of fear that motivates nearly every unhealthy decision we make in life. Anxiety, we can, we can argue about the details of this, but, but I'm going to say it. So, Anxiety is our primary struggle. Everything I'm about to say, I am separating if, if you know someone or you yourself have been clinically uh, depressed or, or, or diagnosed with any kind of clinical anxiety disorder. I'm not necessarily talking about you, okay? So we need to make a split because the issue is everyone's anxious. Whether we should use different words for those things or not, everybody's anxious. Some people are anxious and don't even know that's what it is. They just think that's life. That's just the way I do it. That's just, that's just me. That's, I do me and that's me. Anxiety is our primary struggle, meaning from anxiety in our lives flow many of the struggles of our life and many of the ways that, that, that somebody that's paid to tell us that we're dysfunctional would tell us that our dysfunction comes from our anxiety, our state of anxious anxiety. In your notes, this is a good quote. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. It, if encouraged... It cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. You feel that image? What if then, so I'm just assuming that we're all anxious. Maybe you're better than me. I'm assuming that we're all anxious. What if your anxiety, what if your worry, what if your stress, what if it's, what if you feel it because you don't trust God? What if it's just that simple? Maybe it's not. What if it's just that simple? What if your anxiety is totally legitimate? Or that of your friends, because maybe you're not anxious. What if your friend's anxiety is totally legitimate? If you don't believe, let's do this. Maybe I know why I'm anxious. If I don't believe that God is in control and I don't trust that he's good, or that he has my best interest in mind, if I don't trust that, it's normal that I might feel anxious and out of control. But if God is who he said he is, then the beautiful thing is that maybe we can reduce our anxiety by simply trusting him. And what if the answer to your anxiety is just stopping, just letting go? Just stop trying to control your circumstance or try to get other circumstances or try to get this or get that or figure something out. And what if you just let go and say, you know, this is life. I can't control it. God, will you give me your perspective on my reality? If you're good and you're in control, then show me what's in this. 
because I'm just in a jail. I'm just cleaning up other people's crap. How is this good? God, will you give me your perspective on it that I might be able to see it? Anxiety is a sign that Western society, here's just an option, it's a sign that society has strayed from trusting God. The result of not trusting God is always this, by the way. The result of not trusting God is always a life that's empty of peace. Anxiety, in your notes, is what it feels like to mistrust God. It is faithless concern. Anxiety is what that feeling is. It's just the feeling that I feel when I mistrust God. When we get that, we can begin to experience freedom from anxiety, hopefully. I don't know your exact situation, but that should definitely help somewhere. For example, when I feel then anxiety rising up in me, I can begin to what? Not say, I'm anxious. Ah, I can say I'm anxious. Right, I'm not trusting God. God, can you show me where I'm not trusting you now? Anxiety doesn't freak me out anymore. It's just like, oh, it's a sign. I'm anxious, so something's wrong. God, what's wrong? God, I don't trust you with this decision. That's why I'm so anxious. I can't trust you with this relationship. That's why every time it comes up, I'm super anxious. God, I can't trust you to provide for me, which is why I'm super stressed about losing my job. Because the only thing I think is, I make money through my job. Therefore, if my job is in jeopardy, I don't make money. I figured it out. That's just being my own God. It's just an idol. It's really hard to let go and say, God, show me. You provide for me whether I have this job or not. Show me how that's true. My anxiety becomes a marker to help me see what's really going on in my heart. Anxiety is a gift. Because anxiety is a big flashing red light that says there's something wrong in my heart. Otherwise, I might not have known it. And at that point, I can ask God to search my heart, like the psalmist, to search my heart and reveal to me what it is. Anxiety is faithless concern, which means concern is good. It's good to be concerned about things. There's lots of things in life we should be concerned about. But when we have difficult circumstances and we don't have faith, our concern, which could be trusting, could see it and trust God, instead it becomes faithless and anxious and we feel out of control. But we feel out of control because we're not in control. So we can see the roots of anxiety back into the, in the beginning of the Bible story. So in your notes, we're headed toward the end. In the, in the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, there's a story in which two characters, Adam and Eve, mistrust God and it's shown as to be the root of all of society's problems and the problems that I have with God and that you have with God. And I'm not going to read through it. It's chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. But I'm going to walk you through the steps of how anxiety works in Genesis. Okay, so look in your notes. First, the, the enemy says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? So he's talking about the tree and the, what God told them to do. But he first questions suspicion, mistrust. The first thing is a critical heart. Okay. The first thing, the opposite of faith is cynicism. God didn't really say. God is not, that's not really going to happen. Come on, look around. <laughs> it's not like you've got to be kidding yourself. That's for sure not going to happen. That's cynicism. It's suspicion and mistrust. So the first thing you do, if you want to be anxious, is you ask yourself, did God really say that? I'm just fooling myself. Did God really say? And then, you, and then the enemy says, gives a promise. You will be like God, he tells them in the story, Right? So if God is not trustworthy, if you've already questioned that God's not trustworthy, who will you trust? Who do we trust? We actually aren't quick to trust other people. We're quick to trust ourselves. You will be like God, trustworthy. The result of that, what is the, this is humanity, this is not Christianity actually. Call it what you want, but this is the human condition. When we question God, when we choose to live apart from God, what happens? You see it in the story, but this is what happens. In your notes, quote, it should be in there, I think. I was afraid, Adam says. I was afraid, so I hid. The result of mistrust and the result of taking your life in your own hands is always fear. You see that? It's so clear. I was afraid. That's what he expresses. I feel afraid. I feel anxious. If you're in control, you will be afraid. 
That's actually the thing. No, one, no one's up to that task. And then fear, what does it look like when we're anxious? It looks like, two, this is like clinical psychology, it often looks like two things. You hide, okay, or you blame. So one, and this is different, some people do both, uh, they do both here. Adam says, I was afraid so I hid, but I still feel something else. Ah, blame. It was the woman you gave me that told me to do it. That's in the story. That's the, root, that's the root of one specific problem in our world today. I'll let you figure out which one. Psychologists describe how all of our emotions are just expressions of anxiety. If I mistrust God, other things will start happening. I will become guarded. I will become angry. I will become frustrated. I will become anxious, worried, tired. My health will begin to be affected. All of these things because I just don't trust, because I can't let go. Often we work on the symptoms of those problems and not the problem. Often we're not trying to address our anxiety. We're trying to work on my anger. I'm trying to become less angry. We talked about that in your notes. Rather than manage our feelings or the symptoms, our feelings are symptoms. It's better to trace our feelings to their source and ask, what is motivating me right now? Anxiety and fear or faith? Sin, then, is an attempt to manage our emotions without faith. Romans chapter 14, 23b, the second part of that verse. Everything apart from faith, done without faith, is sin. This is the way Paul describes sin. This is simple. Anything that you do that's not motivated and driven by faith is sin, even if it's a good thing. In your notes. But if we deal with anxiety first, we deal with the seed before it flowers into sin. So we're going to move on from anxiety in just a moment. Uh, after I talk about one more thing, but think about if you then today, I mean, this would, I promise it would change everything. If, it, if you left here and said tomorrow, whatever, I'm anxious. And instead of watching Netflix or I don't know what you do, I have all kinds of other things. I just shouldn't say them. Uh, whatever you do, what if instead you stopped for just a minute and you said, I'm talking to myself, by the way, too. You said, why am I anxious? God, why? my anxiety is a gift. It's just like trying to, you're trying to show me something, God. Why am I anxious? God, I don't trust you today at all. I don't trust you with this. And it's difficult. I'm not being positive. It's difficult. Will you help me today to trust you? That's all trust is. I mean, if I'm not doing that, I don't have faith. Anxiety in your notes looks like under or over-functioning, okay? It's, it's, it's hiding or it's blaming, you know? It's, it's hiding from everybody or it's enmeshing in everybody, it's underfunctioning or overfunctioning. It's either or thinking. Okay, I don't know if this is you. It's black. Everything's black and white. The person's good or they're not good. Okay, they're terrible. Well, you like that person? I think they're awful. Why? Well, because they did this thing. Oh, okay. I'm telling you, they're ter- either or thinking. It's always serious. No jokes. Okay, it's always serious. It's difficult to joke around when you're anxious. It's just a sign that maybe you're super anxious. Anxiety looks like making rules all the time. People come late here all the time, so you know what we're gonna do? At, at, at 10.35, we're gonna lock the front door. <laughs> so people learn a lesson. Some people love to teach people lessons, you know. Rule, ba- rule making is a sign of anxiety. It has nothing to do with people coming late. It's just that it bothers people. You should come on time, okay? But it bothers people, and people don't. Labeling. You're in or you're out. There's no gray area. You're in or you're out. It's clear. By the way, if, 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 if there's anything in you that's like, yeah, it's kind of true, though, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that kind of true? Yeah, of course. I'm not saying what I'm not saying. And anxiety always looks like labeling. You've got to have a label for everything. If it doesn't look like this then it's not this. There's no nuance. I mean, anxious people do not understand nuance. They can't have nuanced, complicated conversations, seeing the other side, appreciating the other side. They can't do this. They can't say, here's my perspective, and here's all the reasons why my perspective could be wrong. That takes a lot of faith, a lot of trust, a lot of humility. Anxiety always looks like reacting. 
I go through life and I'm just constantly reacting to things happening around me, to the person and what they said, to the weather, to what my day is like, to what my boss said, to, to my own worries about the future or today. I'm just reacting to everything. I feel so stressed out. That's anxiety. There is something that's not that. Is that okay? That's in your notes, so you can look through that. That's just anxiety. We're all anxious. Maybe we don't all do all those things, but we do some of them. The answer to life is about trusting Jesus, not coming up with better rules. This is a hard one because if you're addicted to porn, the thing that you might want to do, and maybe you should, I don't know, is create a lot of rules. I don't look at this, I don't do this, I don't go to this place at this time, I don't do this thing. Maybe you need some of that, but that's not going to do it. You know, maybe you know that. That's not going to do it. What you have to do is begin to trust God to fulfill your desire. You have to begin to ask God for his love, because this is actually how you overcome something like that, to love men if that's your problem, or women if that's your problem, to love them enough not to look at that. Not to just create rules. That's not, how, that's, not how you get, that's not how you transform. Although maybe you need a rule so you don't kill yourself or something. In your notes, the problem is seldom the problem. That's the point. The problem is seldom the problem. Our anxious reaction is the actual problem. You get that? Imagine that. Imagine if someone's addicted to pornography and you go, well, that's obviously a problem. You're like, yeah, it's a problem. And then imagine that, that I said to you, yeah, but I think they're creating rules to overcome it is the problem. Like, what are you talking about? For sure, the fact that they're addicted to alcohol is the problem. No, I think the fact that they're trying everything they can do to get over it by making rules is the problem. It's because alcoholism is the result, often, of all kinds of complicated things, but if you want to generalize it, of anxiety, which is legitimate and difficult but you don't cure alcoholism by just making a rule about it long term. You cure it by figuring out why are you anxious and what happened. And same with everything else. Instead, we must stop to think and ask, what does trust and love look like here in my situation today? Do not be afraid. I don't know if you know this. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Same idea. Do not be anxious is Jesus' most common command. He's not just creating rules and telling us to do stuff. He's telling us to, to get rid of the root. Do not be afraid. If you're not afraid, your life will change. Peace, then, is a state of mind, not a set of circumstances. Peace is a state of mind. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I can be at peace. Even if I'm in the middle of a war, I can be at peace if I have peace. So, if that's what faith is not... One last thing, what is faith exactly? Faith is in your notes, obedience. I wish it was something else. Faith is obedience. The only thing that counts is faith expressing, its, expressing itself through love. It doesn't matter that you feel trust. It matters that you exercise trust. It's, it's like hugging back. Obedience is the hug back. Those who obey my commands, Jesus says, are the ones who love me. So what does it mean now? Jesus is like, it started with grace and now it's all about obeying. Obedience is the way that you receive God's love. It's the way you love God back. Those who obey my commands are the ones who love me. They're the ones I know love me because they're doing the thing that expresses love. Obedience is not extra special Christianity. You get this? This may be not good news. Obedience is not extra special Christianity. Even if our, our society values other things more, like things that are not bad, but values them more, creativity, talent, strategies, obedience is the most important quality that you can have in your life. What does Jesus say? I only, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus, who is God on earth, says that he can only do what he sees the Father doing as an example to how we're supposed to live life. So what if obedience is not the goal of your life? Like this whole course is to this point now. What if obedience is not the goal that you'll get to someday? Really following Jesus and obeying him. What if that's not the goal? What if that's where you start? puts everything else in perspective. 
What if you don't need to work through anything first? This might be a paradigm shift. What if you don't need to work through things first and then obey? What if you need to obey and then things will get worked out? I don't know what that thing is for you. It could be, it could be anything. What if what we need to work through is obeying him? Faith in love always looks like obedience and it doesn't look like anything else. That's good news because it's clear. It's, it's worse if I didn't make it clear. Faith in love always just looks like obedience. If we start with obedience, things begin to change. It's like magic. Faith and love are choices. In your notes, we are not at the mercy of our circumstances, feelings, luck, or the past. As we obey God, he fills our obedience with his love and power. Obedience creates space for God to be God in our life. It allows us to embrace him. He's already him. He doesn't change. Our obedience doesn't save us. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus saves us. Our obedience creates space. It demonstrates our faith. It allows God to be God or us to experience God in our life and for God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In your notes, it can't be overstated. Obey first. If you left this whole thing just with this, this good. Just obey first. It doesn't make sense. Just do it anyway. Don't wait for deeper understandings, better feelings, or more maturity. Those are actually just idols, and they're actually just symptoms of, a, of an idol. I'll talk about that at the end for just a moment. Uh, Greg Mitchell, one more story from him, tells a story about how often people will come up to him, especially this, because I'm going to talk about what could your next step be. And they'll say, I'm just not really ready to do anything else. He's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, I feel like I should get baptized because I've not been baptized, but I'm not ready yet. He's like, oh, why aren't you ready? And he's like, I don't know. They say, I don't know. And he's like, they always say to me, I don't know enough. And he says, perfect. Get baptized right now before you know anything else. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, because if you get baptized now, then your faith that you're, as baptism is an expression of my faith. I'm showing everybody that I have faith in Jesus. Then your, your baptism is an expression of your faith in Jesus and not your knowledge. But if you keep, first of all, you probably won't, but if you just keep waiting and get more knowledge and then you're baptized, then your baptism is an expression of your faith in your knowledge. Now, you need to believe certain things to get baptized, but this is for sure true, that we are very hesitant to take steps of obedience, and we have all kinds of reasons for them. And the difficult thing is letting go. Is that okay? In your notes... If you, do, if you will do anything for God, then do something, okay? That's the thing. We're actually not pretty active people, not just us, it's like people. Obey something, do something. If you know what it is that he's calling you to do, do it. Don't wait. Things will change. Things won't change in between. Things will change after. The Bible promises in your notes that obedience brings greater intimacy, fruitfulness, reward, power, understanding, fulfillment, maturity, freedom, joy. It should be footnoted in your book all kinds of scriptures for those things. There's this truth that we have trouble with the nuance, okay, because we're anxious. So when I say obey, you think it's all about obedience. See, it's about doing the right thing. It's, it is, and it's not at all about that. The way that I love God back because he's loved me is by obeying, by trusting. Mean, obedience is trust, by the way, by trusting him, by obeying. That's the way I love him back. And when that happens, that's Christianity and things begin to transform and change. And when I don't do that, when I wait around and I make excuses, nothing changes. I'm not saying this because you'll be judged if you don't. I'm saying this because if you're to do that, life will change. There's a quote I want to share with you. If you know, there's a, there's a famous, in the history of Christianity, there's a guy named John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, and he, had, he kept a diary for much of his life and ministry. And this is one uh, kind of series of things that he wrote in his diary as an example of what it means to trust. I find it funny, but here it is. Sunday morning, May 5th, I preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday afternoon, May 5th, I preached in St. John's, the deacons, like leaders of a church. The deacons said, get out and stay out, quote. Sunday morning, May 12th, next week, I preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. I think he's being sarcastic, unless that's actually the name of a church. Preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said, I can't return. Sunday afternoon, May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, 
preached in a meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. That's pretty funny. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the e- out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday afternoon, June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me, John Wesley. That was, a, that was a tough couple weeks. This is an example of living by faith. We don't know what the future's going to hold. Actually, we don't actually know that. I really like futurism, stuff like that. We don't actually know what the future's going to hold. And the beautiful thing is we don't need to know. We're called to obey and to do what God says, which is a life-giving thing. It's not a, we, we think of that as a burden. It's a life-giving thing. Even when those around us are anxious and reacting to their circumstances, we can live at peace and help them too as well. What could the story of your life be if you were to choose to obey God now, right in the middle of whatever the circumstance is? What would change? Ben, can you come back up here? We'll do this and end. We're not going to hug again, unless you want to. (laughs) There's three ways to relate to God, okay? Just wrapping up transformations here. Three ways. I can. Ben's a God, clearly. I can walk away from Ben. This is simple, but get it. I have an option. God's there, and I can walk away. God's still there, but I can try to get as far away as I want to. I can try and walk toward God, okay? This is trying to do things to please God, okay? Ignoring God, trying to do things to please God my whole life. I'm trying to get close to God, can't you see? But it's all, I think I get close to God by what I do. And so I try to get close to God. Or there's another way. There's a third way. We can just walk together. Let's just walk this way. We can walk together. You can sit down. That might be simple, but that's actually the Bible's explanation of how one relates to God in a healthy way. You're not walking away from God, and you're not actually trying to walk toward God. You're accepting that God is next to you now because of what he has done in Jesus. He's in relationship with you, and you can walk with him where he leads you. This is a totally different perspective. I'm not trying to get close to God. God's here. I'm not trying to get away from God. Why would I do that? There was a time in my life after I became a Christian where uh, there was just difficult, uh, many different, difficult circumstances at once, and I found myself anxious often, and I remembered, uh, and I, there was difficult things I had to do during that time, and this, this Jesus' statement, I will be with you, so at the end of the gospel, especially Matthew, for example, make disciples, baptize them, teach them all I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. That became for me like, I need to believe this. And so what I did is I was only like 16 or 17, but I had a car, as people do at that age where I'm from. And uh, I, I had this verse taped to my steering wheel. You drive everywhere. And it just said, I'll be with you. And I would drive and I would read that every day throughout the day constantly. And it was this idea that I would begin to go into meetings and things, and the only thing that would do it for me, the only thing, is that I would, I would believe and trust that Jesus was actually walking into the meeting with me. And for some reason, that would do it for me, and I was not nervous at all. I was probably a little nervous, but I was able to do it. This is how we're supposed to live life all the time. Uh, supposed to is a funny word. It's actually what we're talking about. There's nothing else that there is. It's that. A healthy relationship with God is recognizing that you are with him always. That will change. I mean, imagine the kind of person you would be. If that was, imagine where you could go, what places in the world, what things you could do, what difficult circumstances you could be in, because important things happen in difficult circumstances, not in easy circumstances, okay? So you want to be in difficult circumstances if you want to make a difference. So you'll you'll be able to be in difficult circumstances full of peace, joy even, even if other people are freaking out because you believe that Jesus is with you, especially there. In your notes, walking in the Spirit removes the excuses of disobedience and the pressure of performance. All that remains is responding to God. You guys can come forward, worship team. In your notes, take care of the minutes, for the hours will take care of themselves. That's that's Lord Chesterfield, which is a nice name. It's his way of saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, like, literally, don't worry about it. Let it take care of itself. What I have is what I've been given, which is literally this moment, just this one.
And I want to spend this moment in worship to God by trusting him, which is what God likes, by the way, more than our words. The end of this course is a new way of life. Following Jesus, that's it. Let it stay that simple. Another, another uh, well, this one's a theologian. If you know anything about theology, Karl Barth, a very famous theologian in the last century. Someone asked him near the end of his life to summarize what he knows about God. It's like someone's pretty smart. So tell me, what, what do you know about God? What did you learn about God? And he said this. He said, hmm. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I didn't say anything else. <laughs> that makes a powerful point. For Karl Barth, somebody who on the intellectual side had tried to plumb the depths of theology and actually made a big difference in his world and our world today because of that, said, after all, that's what I learned. That's basically sums it up. Let all that we've done in this course remain simple. Love and faith expressed in obedience. You learn more, go deeper. If you, but don't not do that. Love and faith expressed in obedience. In your notes, the result of following Jesus or walking in God's spirit is a life that can only be described as supernatural. This is the power of the resurrection. You know, that kind of thing authentically happens in a life that's just given over to God and that just trusts no matter what. Francis Chan, a current day writer, says, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. So, parting words to you. Do what you're called to do. Do what you're called to do, and God will be with you. How free will you be when your life is no longer defined by circumstances? We talk about holistic transformation. That's probably like a huge one, a huge one, that if that would change inside your life, that my life is no longer defined by the circumstances of my life, that is more than many people could ever hope for. That would change everything. How free will you be when your trust in God makes your anxiety shrink? How significant will you feel when you live a life of simple obedience, allowing God to bring you to places that you didn't have the control or the, or the thought to get to, or that you didn't have to sin to get to? Imagine when he makes you move up in the company, which in the grand scheme of things is irrelevant, actually. But let's say he does it and it, you didn't, it didn't happen because you sinned. That's how we usually move up. Sin works well. For our lives, families, and cities to be transformed, it's in your notes, for that to happen by God's love and power, we must push aside all the fear-motivated obstacles and embrace a lifestyle of simply obeying Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, which we're actually doing next week, I think. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. How can you respond? Just for a moment, I want to give you a chance to respond uh, or to think through, to consider what's your action? What's your obedience? What's your next step here? What's your next step? First is what the Bible calls salvation. We talked about this earlier in the series, but salvation is accepting the free gift of a relationship with God. We don't all automatically have a relationship with God, by the way, because as Ben was God up here, having a relationship with God means that I must accept what he's done for me. He sent Jesus in my place to be an example of what my life was to be like and, which is extremely good news if we could feel it, lived a life of perfection, of wholeness on my behalf. He died a death that's, that's exactly what I should have had, should have. Not just because I've disobeyed because that's the trajectory of my life is death. It's not life. God is life. And then he rose again from the dead, meaning Jesus conquered death. The death that you know about, he conquered death and hell and the enemy. He conquered the difficulty in my life. He conquered everything. And if I will accept, like hugging Ben back, if I will accept that gift and just say, yes, Jesus, I accept that that's not just a good story. I accept that it's true and that it's for me. And I give you my life. This is repentance. I give you my life just saying it and acting on it as you go. This is salvation. And what happens in that moment is you say, you know, even if it's hard to believe, that you have a relationship with God that cannot be broken. 
and that you will be with him forever starting today for all of eternity. That's salvation. So if you would like to have what the Bible describes as salvation, which means healing, new life, I'll leave one moment at the end to pray just for you. Okay? And so you can listen at that moment. If that is you, but you have not been baptized like I talked about, you can, you can use this moment to say, you know what, I'm going to move forward with that and get baptized. And if you want to talk to somebody about that, there's baptism cards on the table. All you need to do is write your name down, put it in the mailbox. I'll call you. Elena will call you. Or you can just talk to us today and say, can you tell me more about that? What's involved in that? How do I know that it's okay for me to be baptized? You can join a micro church. Transformation happens as you come near to other people. We talked about that in the series. You can't do it alone. There is actually not possible to transform and change on your own, only in community. Join a micro church. Join a Sunday team where you can meet other people. You can serve and do something that you feel like you don't get anything back for sometimes. That's a good thing to do. Or you can begin leadership formation. Let's say you're doing all these things. You say, what's next for me? You can, you can come talk to me about what is leadership formation and how can I, how can I start one of these micro churches that people talk about and bring this kind of message to other people? Or how can I just join and be more involved in my micro church and lead with them? You can come talk to me about starting that. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.